So John chapter 6, the second part of a study we began a couple weeks ago called the Bread of Life. John chapter 6, verses 34 through 40. Now I want to begin by reading verse 32. So we'll start at verse 32 for context. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Shall we pray? Father, our hearts uh, this morning turn to you. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters that are suffering through loss and through pain. And we join together, Lord God, to call upon your name that you would be with the Ryback family and, and the Knots and the, uh, the Harrises and their family, Lord, in this time, Lord, of, of, of suffering and loss. We lift them up to you, Lord, as precious members of our congregation, but Lord, more importantly, as, as your children, and ask that you would be, stre- be strength for them, be peace and comfort to them, Lord, in this time where they need you so much. We thank you, Lord God, that as we begin a, a new year that we can also resolve to find ourselves more and more before your presence in prayer, in thanksgiving, in supplication, making our requests known to you so, Lord, you will do a great work in our church and in our families. We ask this morning for the blessing of your spirit to be upon us, to teach us, give us your wisdom and understanding and your grace, that we might apply everything that we learn in and through and to our lives, that we may be a bright shining light in 2016 in a very dark world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
From the very beginning, the Lord made it very clear that man, man could never provide true bread. Now, we know that man does provide some bread. Bread that we eat, bread that is consumed, and bread that we have to restore on a very daily basis. But there's true bread that matters. True satisfaction that comes from true bread. And it is only God that can provide that bread. That is the reason why the things necessary for life were created in the manner that God chose at the inception of all that was made. We see that light was spoken into existence on the first day. Everything necessary for the making of bread was created on the third day, and the sun was created on the fourth day. The Lord makes things really easy for us to understand that he can make things in the proper order. And so it goes without saying that Moses was not the one who gave Israel the manna from heaven. It was the Lord who gave the manna from heaven, and hence it was the Father who sent his only begotten Son, the true bread of life, to give life to the world. But what kind of life are we talking about? Let's remember that man and things cannot meet the gnawing hunger of man. And that is something that we really need to get into our minds and into our hearts today. The fact that man and things, man and material things, cannot meet the gnawing hunger of man. They cannot provide true satisfaction because they, for the most part, do not possess the true bread. Consider, if you will, what we studied many, many months ago in John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where it says, that was the true light. This is speaking of Jesus himself. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But here he is called the true light. And just as Jesus is the true light, he is also the true bread of God. You see, the manna of God is not physical and material bread. It is spiritual. The true bread is spiritual bread. The Lord may provide and actually does promise uh, to provide for the physical necessities of his followers, but physical and material bread is not what Jesus was talking about in this passage. Physical bread lasts only for a short while. Once consumed, it is gone. Its satisfaction passes and man's gnawing hunger rises again. But the bread that God gives is spiritual bread. That is spiritual food for the soul. And I, I mention that because it is God who gives us everything spiritual. Everything spiritual comes from God. Paul makes this clear in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If we truly want spiritual blessings, they must come from the God who has created the heavens and the earth, the God who sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. So he, Jesus, is the only bread that can feed and meet the needs of man. What are the needs of man that get met by God and through Christ? 
Well, man's gnawing hunger. We talked about this before, that the gnawing hunger of man is not just something that's physical, but is actually spiritual. So Jesus can meet the needs of man. Man's gnawing hunger, man's restlessness, man's emptiness, the vacuum of his heart, loneliness, lack of purpose, meaning and significance. All of these things can be met by the true bread of God. Now at the risk of getting too far ahead of ourselves, jump down, if you will, in John chapter 6 to verses 50 and 51. Because here Jesus says this, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. So now we know that we're not dealing with something that's physical. Because we know that everything that is physical is subject to the second law of thermodynamics, and it's eventually going to wear out or be consumed and pass away. So Jesus says, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. He says, I am that bread. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And once again, we have to have a mindset that is dealing with the spiritual and not the material or the physical. He says, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now we understand that because we know that Jesus came to give his life to die on our behalf, to be sacrificed on our behalf, and he gives his flesh for the life of the world. And he gave that at the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago. But before we move on, take note of what Jesus said. And we can go all the way back to Verse 32 and verse 33 and, and, and following. Jesus said that the bread of God is a person. He said that the bread of God is a person. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he. The bread of God is he. And the word for bread, by the way, in this case is, is in the masculine it is in the masculine form. In the Greek, it is hoartos, from uh, the word aido, which means, very interestingly enough, it means to be raised or to be lifted. Now, when you think of bread being raised, you know you would think of bread that rises because of, of the fermentation process and all. So that's an interesting word. We know that the bread of life for us rose from the dead. <laughs> so... The application is pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. But note also that the bread of God who feeds and nourishes man came down out of heaven. He came down out of heaven. He was not born, in other words, of the earth. Though he was born on the earth. He was not born out of the earth. He came from the very presence of God the Father himself. A little later on in John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus said... You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So we need to see the distinction of the bread of God not being something that was of this earth. But if we consider the incarnation of Jesus, we have to remember that Mary 
was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Lastly, consider that the bread of God came from heaven to give life to the whole world. To the whole world. It was not just to one person or to one nation that he came. He came to the whole world. And we all need to be very thankful for that. John, who writes the gospel, also writes the letters to the church. Uh, and he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. Now, that's a fancy word to mean atoning sacrifice. So Jesus is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, notice, but also for the sins of of the whole world. So what Jesus came to do crosses all kinds of ethnic lines and nationalistic lines. It's for the whole world. He came first to his own. He came to his own. His own received him not, but to as many as received him, as it says in John chapter 1, both Jew and Gentile, he gave the right to become the sons of God to as many as believe in his name. From every nation, tribe, and people, and tongue. So that's a wonderful thing to know about why Jesus came and why the true bread of God is that which crosses all boundaries. So Jesus Christ then for us is indeed the bread of God and he is the bread of life. Now, going to verse 34, which is our text for today, let's begin reading here. It says, Then said they unto him, this would mean, now I just want to remind you, that they are the men who had received of the, the bread that Jesus had given them from the little lunch of the little boy. The five little barley crackers and the two little uh, sardine fish. But of the bread... They were the ones that had received, and their families also. So anywhere from ten to 15,000 people had received food from Jesus from this one little meal. And they were astounded because indeed it was a tremendous miracle. They even wanted to make him king. I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, anyway, you all remember that particular part. This whole chapter comes back to that miracle. So they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. The same bread that he was talking about. I'm the bread... Or the, the bread of God is he that cometh into this world. So they said, well, Lord, evermore give us this bread. But please understand where they, they are and where we might think they are. Because Jesus said unto them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So here's the question that we need to ask. Were the people actually requesting the bread of God? Were they actually requesting the bread of God that Jesus describes as himself? The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Well, now we, we look at what we, we consider to be kind of uh, uh, on their side saying, well, yeah, didn't they say evermore, give us this bread? And while we might think that they were asking for the bread of God from Jesus, consider that they were probably thinking in these terms. Remember, Moses has already been mentioned. So they were thinking in these terms, Lord, not just for 40 years give us this bread, but always. Because they still in their mindset, Moses gave them the manna from heaven. 
even though Jesus said that he hadn't. So they knew one thing about Messiah. Now they're beginning to believe that he might be Messiah, and they're saying, now Messiah is going to be like Moses, but even better. Messiah is going to be like Moses and give like Moses, but even better. Therefore, you're not just going to give us this bread for 40 years. You want to give this bread to us for a lifetime and beyond that lifetime. So these people were really, you know, they really needed to, to have their minds lifted out of the physical and onto the spiritual. Now some might say, well, they did call Jesus Lord, didn't they? Well, that's true. But the word kurios that is used here in the Greek for Lord was also an address of respect as well. And, and most of the time when, when speaking of anyone or speaking to anyone, they would really use it to say sir rather than Lord or Master. Now, why do you feel like I might be downplaying that? Well, I want you to consider something. The spiritual reality is that when a person truly asks for the true bread of God, he must call Jesus Lord and be ready to submit to him as Lord and Master, serving Jesus day by day. We have to call him Lord, not just Sir, Lord. And we know this because we're told in Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The implication here is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him as Lord and Master. Lord, Master, and Teacher. And so notice now what it means to follow after Christ. If a man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What is the cross daily? It's dying to self daily and letting Christ live in us daily. Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, you want to keep your finger in Romans 10, but here in Romans 10, verse 12, Paul says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, notice, over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here the context is Lord and Master. We have to call him Lord. And then we have to believe he is Lord. And we follow him as Lord. So now, the same goes for the request that the people made. Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, the way this is designed here, grammatically speaking, is that this was a once-for-all request by these people. It's in what's called the Greek aorist tense. They, they wanted this bread once for all so that they might have permanent provision. But which bread did they want once for all? Jesus has already made it plain that they sought after him because they had eaten of the loaves. And he clarifies this again in verse 36 when he says, But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. So he's clarifying where they are really at with him when asking for bread. 
But the spiritual reality, see, we have to always come back to the spiritual reality, and the spiritual reality is this. Salvation, which is partaking of the bread of life, is to be a permanent experience. It is to be a once-for-all experience. But we want the bread that is the bread of God, the bread of life, the bread from heaven, once for all. Not the bread that is made of this earth. Or even, if you will, the bread that God provided. Because when you think about manna from heaven, what was the, what was the instruction given to the, Jewish or to the Israelites in the wilderness? You take the manna, you have to make it on that day, and if you have any left over, you can't use it for the next day. So it's a daily asking for daily manna from heaven. So this particular request then Jesus realized was more about that than it was about the spiritual bread. And we'll see that as we go along here in just a moment. If any man come to Christ who is the bread of life, he will never hunger. If anyone comes to Christ who is the bread of life, he will never hunger. Man has a starving, craving need for a life that is full and satisfying, nourishing and sustaining, energizing and fulfilling. The craving for life will be fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. But then the Lord adds this. He says, if a man believes, <clears throat> he will never thirst. There's another level of need. Man's need is, is more than met, though. Not only is his hunger satisfied, but his thirst is quenched. Every need of life, of nourishment, and of growth is met. Nothing is left out or lacking. And thank the Lord that he makes that clear. Because it isn't just about bread. We need water too, don't we? We need water for life. How much more the water of the Spirit of God? How much more the water, the refreshing water of the Word of God? And yet the Lord says, you believe in me, you'll not lack in any of these things. When a person, <coughs> excuse me, when a person comes to Christ and believes, which by the way in the scriptures is a continuous action. When we say that we believe, we are saying that we continue to believe all the time. We will continue to believe forever. It is a continuous action. So when a person comes to Christ and believes, every need of his life and of his growth is met. Of course, this doesn't mean that he will never hunger after righteousness. He will, but his hunger and his thirst will never go unsatisfied. As Jesus stated in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 6, he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I think you would agree with me that every day we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if we're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness, we may be hungering and thirsting after a lot of other things that will not be satisfied. Satisfying, I should say. But when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness, the Lord says, I'll fill that. I will meet that need. 
And by the way, at the well in Samaria, which we studied back in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman, you know, he said, listen, if you drink of this water from this well, you're, you're going to thirst again. But then he says here in Matthew 5, uh, I'm sorry, in, in John 4, verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so again, Jesus takes this woman from the material to the spiritual. To the spiritual understanding because it is the spiritual that is going to be that which lasts forever. It is important then at this point to realize that the great I am is the living bread. That the great I am is the living bread. The one who was and is and is to come has become the bread of life for our spirits to partake of. But Jesus once again knew his audience and he made this remarkable statement. So let's look at it. It's the rest of this passage. Jesus said, but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. So this is kind of a repeat of what he had said before. You're following me not because you, you saw the miracle, but because you tasted, you ate of the bread. And now he applies it to the spiritual. And he says, that you have, uh, but I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. But then he makes this astounding statement. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now stop there for a moment, you who are a believer in Jesus Christ. And aren't you just so thankful to hear that from Jesus? I, I tell you, I am so thankful to hear that. I am so grateful to the Lord to have that kind of sustainability upon us. <laughs> we don't sustain ourselves. He sustains us to the point that he can say, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and, I, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then he goes on and says, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me, of course the Father, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing. Now that's, double, now that's, a, that's a double blessing now. Now we're, now we're just getting doubly blessed here if we believe in Jesus Christ with all of our heart. He says that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. What a promise that is to those who believe. To those who believe. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now remember this. Jesus, uh, these people saw Jesus. They saw him. We, we haven't seen him. We've seen a lot of pictures. We've seen a lot of artists' conceptions of who Jesus might, or what Jesus might look like, but we've never seen him. 
These people saw him. Are you getting the picture? These people saw Jesus, but he was quick to note to them that they, in essence, had rejected him. That may seem to be a harsh statement, but to believe not, because that's what Jesus said that they were, you know, he said, well, you've seen me, but you don't believe. To believe not is akin to rejecting the truth of Jesus as Messiah. The point is that the people were without excuse. The people were without excuse. They had been given every opportunity in the world to believe in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel and in fact, of the whole world. They were given the opportunity. They eventually saw what had happened as Jesus was passing out the bread from a little boy's lunch and then the fish and they ate and they ate and they ate until they were so full Then the disciples who hadn't believed themselves, at least of what Jesus was saying, how, how are we going to feed all these people? They responded in unbelief. And Jesus gave each of his disciples a basket full of bread from what remained. So let's face it. The bread of God had come down from heaven. The bread of God had come to give life to the world. The bread of God had been seen as described by the apostles, especially John, when he writes again in his first letter to the church, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full just like your joy will be full in you when you realize the truth that Jesus is the bread of God the bread of God was seen and proclaimed that very moment. And any of the people could have easily come to Christ. Yet sitting there and hearing the glorious news, they still not, did not believe. Consider how thorough Jesus is about this matter of belief in him. He is very thorough when he says what he says about believing in him. John 1 verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. It is important to receive the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3, 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him, or on him. In John 8, 24, he said, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. In John 12, verse 48, I know this is fast, but we have communion today, so I'm trying to get there. But in John 12, verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. 
It is the word that judges those who reject Jesus Christ. That is pretty thorough. And what Jesus is telling these 5,000 men and anyone else who's around that, that's listening, he gives them a tremendous lesson about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. In the midst of this grand statement that he is the bread of life, that he, the great I am, is the bread of God and from God, Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord Jesus knew that all of the Father's purposes and all of the Father's plans would be fulfilled? Now see, if Jesus knew that, he wants us to know that. He wants us to know that all of God's plans and purposes are going to be fulfilled. And even if those Jews to whom he was speaking would not accept him and believe him, then he knew that all those who were chosen by God would come to him. That's a very clear statement that Jesus is making. In this verse, it is stated in a few words Two of the most important teachings in, in the Word of God. The first is that God has given certain ones to Christ and that all those whom He has given will be saved. The other is the teaching of man's responsibility. In order to be saved, a person must come to the Lord Jesus and accept the truth of Him by faith. God does choose some people to be saved. But the reality is this. The Bible never teaches that he chooses some to be condemned. I know that there are some people who believe that. But I can tell you from the scriptures, when you do the proper kind of exegesis in the scriptures... The Bible never teaches that he chooses some to be condemned. If anyone is saved, it is because of the free grace of God. But if anyone perishes forever, it is his own fault. All men are condemned. We were born in sin, weren't we? All men are condemned by their own sinfulness and wickedness. If all men went to hell, they would be receiving only what they deserve. In grace, though, God stoops down and saves individual people out of the great mass of humanity. Does he have the right to do this? Yes, he does. God can do as he chooses, and no man can deny him this right. We know that the Lord will never do anything that is wrong or unjust. But just as the scriptures teach that God has elected certain persons to salvation, it also teaches that man is responsible to accept the gospel. I told you to keep your finger in Romans chapter 10. Go back to Romans 10 verse 9 and notice what it says. That if a, but if thou, Paul says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, this is part of the responsibility of man. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A very clear statement. Verse 10, it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice the next verse, though. We oftentimes 
stop at verse 10 and we forget to read verse 11 that says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You can jump down to verse 17 where it says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So with that, hopefully clear in our hearts and minds, then we go back to what Jesus said in verse 38 of our text when he says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those last two verses is like Jesus saying, okay, this is what I'm saying, and this is the explanation of what I'm saying. Then what I'm saying and what I'm explaining is the very same thing. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is the the greatest teacher ever. Always using good repetition. This is a statement of great assurance for the believer. Is there an assurance for the believer? Yes, we see it all through the scriptures. But here are a couple of clear things to note. First of all, Jesus did not begin his life. Jesus did not begin his life in a manger in Bethlehem. Rather, he existed from all eternity with God the Father in heaven. He came to do the Father's will, not his own. He took the place of a servant in order to carry out the will of the Father. And all who believe will see him with eyes of faith. Consider that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. You will see him. We will see him. We look forward to seeing him. But it is in those who have the eyes of faith, the eyes that believe with all of their heart that Jesus Christ came to this earth, to die on our behalf, to be the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, to suffer on our behalf, to die, to be buried, and to rise again on the third day. We will see him. And so will those who pierced him. They will see him. So the, the burden is clear for us today before we come to this table of communion. Will you believe him? This is the will of him that sent me, verse 40 of our text. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
That is not something for us to take for granted. It is something for us to humble us and to keep us focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. Because what is he coming to do but to take us home? You see, the full extent of salvation is not just that we now have a new heart and a new mind and a new life and we can understand the word of God better than we did before we came to the Lord. The fact of the matter is Jesus said, I'm coming again for you because I'm going to finish my work in this, on this earth and with my people Israel. I'm going to finish all of these things, but I'm taking you home first so that you will be with me. So he makes it clear who it is he's coming for. Those who believe, those who trust, and those who express that belief and trust in their lives. So before we take the cup and the bread this morning, I want to remind you of this one thing. And that is what Jesus said in Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, as we think of the things that are happening even in the world today, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Look up. And lift up your heads. For your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption draweth nigh, draws near. Every day is a day closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. So as we take the bread and the cup this morning, let's, let's truly remember what Jesus did on our behalf as the bread of life, as the bread of God, as the living bread that came to give us eternal satisfaction, eternal provision, eternal life, and eternal salvation.